That all too familiar feeling in the Premier League for Norwich City has returned once again. A 2-0 defeat at Aston Villa uh, coupled with a 2-1 victory for Burnley over Watford means that Norwich City's relegation from the Premier League has been confirmed. It is their their sixth, uh, their fourth consecutive relegation. It's the earliest point to any season in their history that they have been relegated. Um, All of those things add up to what has been, all told, a fairly disastrous season that has not lived up to the expectation that lots of people put onto it. And now, at least, the formal inquest can start. Uh, I'm Connor Southwell, joined by Paddy Davitt for this week's Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. That are next to their name in the table now stands for relegation, but is there an element of relief to it all, given that it feels like this has been coming for, for probably a long time this season? Well, uh, well, on that very point, Dean Smith unprompted post-match, Villa Park um, said there'd been a, a sense of inevitability, I think, to paraphrase him, over the last four or five weeks. And if that's coming from, you know, the head coach of the football club, then you'd like to think that hadn't pervaded inside the group because that's, you know, that that's tantamount to sort of saying, was it post-Brentford, post-Leeds, they thought the game was up and have played subsequently like that. It's an easy, it's a lazy charge maybe to throw at them, but but you know certain maybe less so on Saturday Villa Park, but the previous weekend Newcastle the way they folded, and we don't need to reprise our Newcastle podcast uh, which has been very well listened to. So thanks for everybody who listened to that. Um, although it was more a Weber podcast than a, than a Newcastle podcast as it turned out, but uh, but th- that was very that was very compliant uh, the way they folded there and. Yes, there was more about them at Villa Park. I think that was as much to do with Villa, you know, not quite having that intensity uh, that that you probably associate at this stage of the season with the team who uh, materially got nothing to play for, neither relegation or or anything above them, really. So it was a very end-of-season tempo. Um, might I flippantly say maybe the Dean Smith testimonial, given his connections to both clubs and how he was sort of fated by the home fans, his first competitive return since he obviously was moved on, in his words, last November and then within a week pitched up at Norwich with Daniel Farker's replacement. But, you know, he felt it was inevitable. We felt it was inevitable. I think pretty much every Norwich fan felt it was inevitable. At what point you felt that maybe slightly differs, depending on whether you maybe a glass half full or half empty type person. But um, I think I'd concur with Dean Smith, actually. Yeah, now I think about it. You know, the Brentford one was big uh, in the context of games left to play, the gap between two of the promoted clubs and the fact that you could have brought them firmly back into it. And then, of course, Leeds, I think, the following week. And in between was obviously the Chelsea game, wasn't it? Which, you know, the way that was scheduled and brought forward did Norwich no favours. And there's been a bit of a theme there about that, you know, maybe they haven't had a rub of the green in many aspects, but certainly the, the elements that they control this season, if we want to broaden it out from beyond the events at Villa Park that merely confirm the inevitable, uh, they haven't been good enough. And Dean Smith was honest enough to admit that yet again, that um, in any aspect of what it takes to be competitive, to to win games of football in the Premier League com- consistently, Norwich have been... Um, woefully short and uh, I didn't see it um, on match of the day but I've seen a few clips on social where they they put up those kind of rankings of, of where you are in terms of your indexes with, with the ball like chances created goals scored whatever and then the defensive metrics and uh, and I'm pretty sure uh, 20 Norwich were 20 on most of those lists so if you're the 
the worst team defensively and the worst team offensively, then you're the worst team. And Norwich, sadly, are the worst team. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll obviously have to dwell on, on where it's gone wrong, but I'm pretty sure most Norwich fans now, to follow on from your initial question, Connor, it is relief. It is, few. that's over now. It's done and dusted. We're not talking about, well, it's still mathematically possible or, you know, you never know great escapes and da-da-da-da, Craig Shakespeare and his role at Leicester in 2015. Gone. Forget that. Park that. We're now on to, to plan B, as Dean Smith says. And that plan B is um, an awful lot of sorting out over this summer on the pitch, off the pitch, um, to equip them for a, a, a realistic crack at what what is the coming of the championship. But, yeah, just to reflect on, on Villa Park, it was, you know, it before the game kicked off or the game kicked off at Watford, if, if we'd have we'd sort of said this was the scenario that would play out, I think we'd have all thought, yeah, on, on the basis of what we'd seen prior to over the previous eight or nine months, yeah, Norwich aren't going to go with a bang. They're going to go with a whimper, and sadly they did. Yeah, given uh, last week's podcast was about Stuart Webber, it's maybe quite apt that Norwich City decided to get relegated with 90% of the season played, uh, one might suggest. I mean, you you mentioned those statistics. I'll, I'll, read, them, I'll, I'll read them for you because I've, I've got them in front of me. Um, Norwich... Uh, have had the fewest shots this season, 336. Fewest shots on target, 100. The lowest shot conversion rate, just 7%. And the lowest expected goals for, 31.99 in the Premier League this season. So that's the attacking aspect. The defensive aspect combined with that, um, they've got a defensive record that includes the most goals conceded, 71. They're the first team in Premier League history to concede more than 70 goals now in three seasons. Um, the most shots faced this season, 562, which is a staggering amount. Um, the second most shots on target faced and the highest expected goals against in the Premier League of 73.8. So those statistics paint a damning picture of a Norwich City side that's been nowhere near the required standard to remain in the division. It, it's purely a concoction that only ends in relegation, doesn't it, Pad? And uh, ultimately, you feel um, with this podcast throughout this season, we've been trying to come up with new ways or new angles of kind of expressing that Norwich City haven't been good enough. Boil it down, those statistics, as you say, attacking, defensive, not good enough. Let's let's not um, forget the midfield in this as well, because I think there's there's been question marks about their role within it as well. But before we maybe turn to events off the pitch and the recruitment and whatnot, uh, and Grant Hanley kind of said this after the game in what was, I felt, a very candid assessment of where Norwich City were, boil it down before we get into anything else purely on the pitch. They've not been good enough. No way near, Connor. I'll just actually, before you come back to me now, I just wanted to call up again the 1920, which was the last Premier League season, the project restart season. Um, clearly, other events of a far more important nature uh, dominated that season. But in, in terms of football, Norwich finished with 21 points and they're on 21 points now. So, you know, you could argue that uh, they've been it's been equally as poor. But for those reasons, you've mapped out those very bald rather painful statistics from a Norwich perspective. This feels worse and and, and and it feels worse because of not to labour a point which was made too often that they got it wrong, spectacularly wrong recruitment-wise for a considerable outlay within the context of a self-funded club model. Um, they shouldn't be back here again, essentially on the same kind of points tally as two seasons ago when they didn't spend anywhere near that amount. They, they didn't really expect to be in a Premier League. Daniel Farker talked often before and during that season that you kind of hear ahead of schedule um, and will almost enjoy the ride. And, and they did for the early part of that season, of course, until the wheels came off. But, you know, 
certainly by this point in the in the Weber cycle as it is now, they did hopefully expect to be here if they they got more right than wrong. So, you know, to have to have gone into this season with a feeling that we could hope for more than kind of making up the numbers, but we being the, the Norwich, then um, to look back as we do now, and, and also I don't think you mentioned it yet on the podcast, but you, you mentioned it at Villa Park, you know, the earliest they've ever been relegated at any level in their 100-plus year history. It's just, a, a, well, you know, you struggle to find the actual words to, to sort of encapsulate the, 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 the gravity of how desperate it's been. Um, for Norwich City and their fans this season, and um, it does feel like maybe we're, we're past the the anger stage, and uh, and I don't want to go back to Dean Smith and his English O levels and apathy and what have you, but you know um, it's certainly nearer apathy than anger at the minute, and uh, you know a huge job. I mean they've they've failed miserably over the last eight or nine months, but there shouldn't be too many people taking too much time off uh, connected with Norwich City over the summer because they're going to need. Every every hour of every day between now and I think it's the end of August when the championship season actually commences. Thirty first of July, sorry, tell a lie. Um, they're going to need all the intervening period to to put right a lot of what has gone wrong, and and even that might not be enough. But you know, it, it's a huge job now to to kind of not even so much ensure there's any hangover because I, I think this goes beyond a, a hangover that you would associate with a relegated team. It it feels deeper. It feels more structural. It feels almost more philosophical, really, because we've been told liberally under, under Stuart Webber that, you know, it isn't the kind of buffeted in terms of decision-making, the key strategic decision-making isn't really around what happens any given 90 minutes on a Saturday or a Tuesday as it would be in the Championship. They, they've tried to take a mid to longer term view about the direction of the club and, and that's all well and good. But, you know, much like, you know, wanting to tell us about the tremendous work they've done infrastructurally, maybe around Colney, that, that is all well and good. And that goes on the positive side of the ledger. But it is about, I'm sure, certainly if you pay your hard-earned season ticket money or your casual match day money, you want to see a team on the pitch that compete and and show quality and show a desire and are competitive and whether that's the Premier League or the Championship that that should be immaterial and and painfully evident they they haven't done that no anywhere near enough so you know it it does cut a bit a lot deeper for me now than well we just need to change one or two of the personnel on the in terms of the squad and this group will be good enough to compete at the top end of the Championship for me it's now beyond competing at the top end of the Championship it's what what is this club about now under this stewardship? You know, and and, and if if they do compete and compete successfully, which by no manner means do I think is beyond them now. I, I think under Smith they've got the right man um, to be really competitive at the top end of the table and hopefully to come back at the first attempt. But if they do that, what is there to tell us that is going to be different from the last two attempts at the Premier League under a Stuart Webber stewardship? Um, and that, for me, is the bigger existential question, really, around Norwich this summer. Absolutely. I mean, you, you mentioned the points tally to start there. It's obviously the same as they went down with last time in the Premier League. But four games left, obviously, the, the most they can get from that is, is 12 points. I'm pretty bad at maths, but that, that's right. I've just used a calculator to double check, so, so there's no doubt about that. But that means that the most they can get is, what, 30, 33 points from here? 
So to, to put that into perspective, that is a fewer amount of points than they got um, in that Alex Neal season in 2015-16. Uh, it's the same amount of points as they got in the 13-14 season where there was so much toxicity around Chris Hutton and obviously Neil Adams came in. And uh, it, it, it is also the same amount of points they went down with in 2004-2005. I mean, in terms of being competitive and, and, and purely look at it like that, because I think Norwich fans are realistic. They weren't expecting to, you know, really pull up any trees and, and finish 10th or, or finish in the top half or be competing for Europe. I think ultimately it was about seeing a bit of progress on, on what they saw last time around and hopefully that being enough to end in relegation, but certainly getting themselves closer to, to where they needed to be and certainly prolonging the season for where they needed to be. This is their earliest ever relegation in their history, as we said, and ultimately, that points tally that they can get, um, they're not going to win their final four games. I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that. Um, it just goes to show in two seasons, under, and, and ultimately we have to use it, under Stuart Webber, it's, it's not been a step forward from actually what came before under Alex Neal and Chris Hutton, albeit that football has changed. So ultimately, we end ourselves up in a position of why is that? What is it about Norwich City and this model and the way they're choosing to run their football club at the moment? That means they aren't able to even get to the levels that they did five years ago, six years ago under uh, a conventional manager and, uh, and chief exec model, which was supposedly broken with this in mind and those power structures broken in order to create a bit more, um, uh, a bit more of a steady leadership throughout the club. So I guess that's a question really, Paddy. Why have the, these last two Premier League seasons been so much worse and Norwich have been so far from being competitive than any point previous in in the top flight what has led Norwich City and and this is an answer that could go on for 10 minutes I suspect but what has led us to this position I suppose with Norwich City given all of the rhetoric that we heard last summer well two things for me one isn't within Norwich's control one very firmly is and the first point was something that Dean Smith um, was happy to acknowledge yesterday actually um, post-match at Villa Park that that the gap now between the Championship and the Premier League. And, of course, people might shoot back at, well, what about Brentford this season? What about Sheffield United? Um, but I think if you look at more empirically on over a wider sample of all the clubs who've gone up in recent years, um, the gap is getting wider and and is is why it was wide before, to be fair. I mean, it's, Dean Smith says, you know, it's almost uh, Man City, Liverpool and the rest. But even, even the rest, there's sort of subsections com- comparable to Norwich and where they are and where they can conceivably hope to compete. Now, that isn't meant to be defeatist. I guess that's factually correct. You know, there is... They play a team yesterday who, uh, you know, I've not looked at where Villa are in the table specifically, but we'll say bottom bottom half of, of the table. And they've got Emi Buendia on the bench, who, who was Norwich's record departure, sale departure. And, uh, you know, many, many other expensive players on, on the bench or not in, even in that squad. Um, you know... And that's a lower ranking club in terms of the current league status, you know, and you can pick any other club really and, and, and look at the relative financial disparities. So that is one of the factors, one of the chief factors for me, you know, if you want to do a comparative as you did there, Connor, with Norwich's points tallies in these last two seasons at Premier League level and an Alex Neal season or before that Chris Hutton or, or even before that the Nigel Worthington era, I think the gaps are wider now. The financial disparities are bigger. And that that is not within Norwich's control under the current self-funded model uh, to bridge. Really, you know, you're 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 dealing with an uneven playing field that that gets more um, 
epically steep every season. Norwich seemingly are back in the Premier League, but that's the other the other factor very firmly is in Norwich's control, and it is recruitment. You know, the last two seasons, we'll excuse the first season because of the financial straitjacket they were in, but but this season, this this is this couldn't you couldn't conceivably say Norwich didn't spend money for Norwich. They spent considerable money. They spent it in the wrong areas. They got it wrong. Um, there's not one player in that summer intake from last season, last close season, you would say has really materially improved the group of players who came out of the Championship under Farker for the second time as title winners. And really, let's be honest, minus Skip, minus Buendia, whatever 11 you can meld from this group, they're inferior. And, and that, fundamentally, is not what should be the byproduct of a 50, 60, 70 million pound outlay to improve your squad. You shouldn't be worse than you were before for that outlay. And that is very firmly at the door of Stuart Webber. Um, and we know that there was a, an upheaval, I think it's safe to say, around the recruitment and some of the key personnel. You know, Kieran Scott is right-hand person. Um, there was another analyst who left as well last summer. And that will have all been quite quite a, a debilitating, I'm sure, um, thing to, to overcome in terms of recruitment. But uh, fundamentally... It's now Stuart Webber, who, as it was before under those guys, but but it is very firmly a Stuart Webber book stops with him when it comes to the recruitment. He signs off on on whatever deal they try and do. And it, as we know, uh, you know, that interview, Mariella Nisataki, the head of emerging overseas talent, you know, they and her analysts and the scouts, um, they will do all the groundwork. But ultimately, when it gets to the point of, Yep, he's a player we think fits a profile for us in a certain position. It's then Stuart Webber takes over and he will both conclude the deals and also decide the deals and decide the targets. So this very firmly rests with him if we're going to focus in, as we have to, on the recruitment because fundamentally that's what will keep you in in the Premier League. Good recruitment and, and astute recruitment and clever recruitment. All the elements that, you know, they've... He has taken a lot of praise for when you look at Puki and Wendia and um, you know Tim Krull, just to name those three, two of those three transfers, but still recruitment in its more broadest sense. Um, but sadly now you have to stack up Rashika, Norman, Gilmore, obviously those latter two on loans, Kabak, um, you know, Zolis, Sargent. I'm afraid at, certainly at this stage, and in terms of the benchmark being improving a squad to have a competitive go at a Premier League season, miserable failures. And um, and that is very firmly at Stuart Webber's door. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you kind of mentioned Villa and I, I want to get into a wider debate around kind of football in a whole and Norwich City's place within that a little bit later on. But I don't maybe think Villa, given the money they spent last summer, w- was necessarily a club that Norwich City expected to be competing with in terms of of relegation obviously their season hasn't panned out because ultimately it's ended with Dean Smith in the opposition dugout of Villa Park getting relegated and maybe even he and uh, and all of the experience he has in football wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have foreseen that but I mean you, you look at a side like Brentford who are going to get used I think as the example they're kind of the the um the counter argument really aren't they to that Norwich City fans will use because Norwich finished 10 points higher than, than them last season they they, they beat them once, they drew to them, they didn't lose to them last season. You, you look at their summer recruitment, I've got it in, in front of me, Christopher Iyer, a player that, you know, well-documented, Norwich City were were interested in signing last summer and didn't. Um, Johan Visser, someone they signed from from the French League. Frank Onyeka, someone they signed from FC Michelin, who, of course, they they have a partnership with. I think they're, they're co-owned, aren't they, by by Matthew Benham. Um, 
a, a, a goalkeeper on loan, uh, Zanka on, on a free transfer, uh, and uh, Jonas Lossel. That, that, those were Brentford summer signings. It wasn't a mass overhaul. It wasn't a, a big spend. They spent less money than Norwich. Obviously, then signed Christian Eriksen in the summer as well. You could go through several clubs and individually do it, but Brentford are, are probably the most powerful example given where they were last season. I mean, all, all of those kind of things that we, we've spoken about, Pad, they they come under Stuart Webber. And given the context, everything that, that we mentioned last week on, on, on last week's pod and the confrontation with supporters, the, you know, the, the, the interview, all, all of these things that have made everything feel a little bit toxic around him. I mean, the focus is now going to be put firmly on him. So how, how does he go about shifting it? Is it simply coming out and, uh, and owning what has been a dismal season? Will that be enough to, to some supporters who will have made their minds up after two failed Premier League campaigns? Because ultimately, I think it looks like, you know, I, I think we were probably all in agreement that, that Daniel Farker's, uh, the decision to, to, to part company with Daniel Farker was probably the right one at the point, maybe arguably even came too late. And there's been a fair bit of revisionism, I think, around the impact that, that he had this season. Um, but ultimately, that decision was made, whether you agree or, or disagree with it, that decision was made because Stuart Webber felt this group of players was good enough under a different head coach to remain in the Premier League. That has also been proven to be incorrect. So you kind of look at the big calls and you stack them up throughout this season. It's very hard to point to one that Norwich City and Stuart Webber have got right over the course of this season. And now if, if you were to put that into the perspective of uh, a head coach being in that position and, uh, and their calls getting made, that would probably end in them losing their job. And it's, it's not for me, ultimately, or, or for you, or for, for us as a collective to, to call for that. But that is maybe the, the, the judgment that some supporters will reach. So I guess the point is, where does, where does he go from here now? How does he shift the dial to ensure that he is, if he wants to be, a key part of, of what comes next at, at Norwich City and changing the narrative around him and his involvement this season, I suppose? And to, to add the final segment to the question, prove that, if this position does arise again, that he's the right person to ensure that it can be different? Well, I think it, it, in, in a lot of moving parts, that that now around Weber and his, you know, his status at Norwich, that, that's probably the biggest of them all because he is ultimately, day to day, he is the figurehead. You know, we know the structure. Uh, the, the owners are very much uh, hands-off and it's Stuart Weber who's making... Um, you know, he, they, he, he, I'm sure, will be the first to say in, in collaboration with with that management team that they've they've constructed around um, the key heads of the, of the business. But ultimately, to to row back to what we just talked about in terms of you know when it, the, the the chain of command when it comes to transfers, he's the one who makes the final calls. Um, certainly, in a lot of the football, well, all the football related operations, that is for sure. So we need clarity now. We need clarity. You know, there's reports obviously over the weekend that have emerged about the, the rolling contract that, that he verbally agreed to that is still unsigned. You know, his current deal ends officially in June. There needs to be clarity now, you know, and, he, and, and I think he needs to com, co- communicate that clarity um, to, to the fan base because, uh, you know, his last public utterances uh, were very inflammatory and uh, in, in the context of everything we've been discussing here about a team that's failed miserably on the pitch um, did nothing to to sort of, you know, dial down the, the feeling of frustration with, with large elements of the fan base, and and he will, you know, have to be more conciliatory than than he was in in that interview certainly, and um, and accept his failings and accept the failings of the club that he presides over, and 
as I say, if that is then entwined with some clarity on his status and that he is here and, and hypothetically the contractual thing is, is a mere, you know, procedural thing. You know, it's not that he's wavering now and, and, and the events sort of around Newcastle and that game have now made him think and doubt whether he wants to be part of it anymore, which, of course, is the inference, you know, with the whole kind of needing the time away to go and pursue his, his mountaineering challenges. You know, he has to really very unequivocally now, um, and as we expect he will do, uh, you know, front up and do a round of media uh, very shortly, I would imagine, um, make it quite clear that put anything or everything that, that's been around him over these last few days to one side, he's here for the duration, um, send those clear messages, as well as acknowledging, as he did, to be fair, two seasons ago, very swiftly after that relegation, that mistakes were made and that they would endeavour to put them right. And in getting the team or the squad and the club back to the Premier League, he did put a lot of those right. But unfortunately, the same issues that dogged them two seasons ago have, have reappeared. And, and that's purely based on where Norwich are in the table, the fact they're relegated again, how poor they've been in terms of the football, the, the wins, the defeats, the goal difference, you know, the every metric you want to look at to rate a football team's performance in the Premier League, Norwich were woefully inadequate. And uh, and he is ultimately the person responsible for that. You know, he made that man. It's his call to, to change the manager. It wasn't Delia saying, I think it's time for a change. Can we, can we say bye-bye, Daniel? I'd be the same. No, that was Stuart Webber. Um, and I'm sure he would expect in other areas of that business that people stand or fall by their decisions. And if not, he would be the first to question them, I'm sure. So he should, by definition, expect the same scrutiny, albeit in a, in a more public setting from a fan base who were told things would be different and materially they haven't been. And you could argue um, it feels a lot worse. So it's no exaggeration that he's probably next public utterances maybe the most important of his time at Norwich since he walked through the door in 2017 because, you know, he has to convince now uh, at least the majority of Norwich's fan base that he is committed, he is focused, he is here for the longer term, i.e. beyond June, um, and then he is going to put it right. And not, just to reiterate what I said earlier in the podcast, not so he does what he did last time two seasons ago and, and, and basically equips Dean Smith with a... Uh, the, the tools and the resources to get Norwich out of the championship. But then what next? What next? What can you tell us that that convinces that it is going to be different next time around? And as I say, you know, if if we get the tone of, of the, that Times interview, um, then, you know, it's very hard to see how you build bridges and how you, uh, how you, you bring a, a growing constituency of people who think it is the end of the road for Stuart Webber back onto your side. So, um, yeah, uh, at the start of what feels a big summer, that could be the biggest element of the summer is how he now handles it and how he conducts himself and um, and by deed and by action proves that, yeah, he, he still fancies this and he's still passionate about driving Norwich City forward and, as they hope to achieve this time around, you know, sustain Norwich in the Premier League beyond more than a season making up the numbers. Yeah, I mean, we've we've kind of discussed, written about, spoken about Stuart Webber's situation a lot. We obviously um, devoted essentially half the podcast to it last week to, to chat through it. So I, I don't want to dwell on him too much. I want to kind of zoom out a little bit because ultimately, as you say, until he says something, it's very difficult, I think, to to kind of shift the narrative on. But to, to kind of zoom out, there have been concerns expressed by some fans. And again, not, not necessarily my opinion. I'm just asking the question. Um, 
there there is maybe a concern of the internal way that Norwich City's board of directors works because as it is as you say ultimately Stuart Webber on the sporting side making the decisions and Zoe Ward essentially on the business side that is the way the football club is is kind of being run day to day there are maybe some people who are concerned that there is a lack of internal scrutiny on those two figures and the decisions ultimately they make Zoe Ward has obviously now become a, a a board director as well but there is not a figure above them, a chairman, uh, et cetera, as, as maybe there has been in, in previous years. And there, there is maybe a concern from, from some that actually their decisions aren't getting scrutinised or there aren't people asking questions as to why they're making the decisions that they're making. There aren't people challenging them to do certain things. Is that a fair concern, do you think, that supporters have? And how, I suppose, do you feel Norwich City need to move forward if that is the case is that the right approach for what needs to be done this summer I suppose if that's the way that it is panning out in reality well I'm sure that they would be very quick to counter that that there is a more collegiate um, process in terms of our decisions are reached you know that executive committee which was um, Ben Kensel, Stuart Webber, Zoe Ward they've obviously now expanded that you know it includes assistant sporting directors, uh, Neil Adams, you know, there's uh, Sam Hall, I'm trying to remember the names, there's Anthony Rickens, you know, the financial guys, the legal guys, Sam Jeffrey, uh, commercial uh, presence there, so, and Zoe Ward. So, you know, and they meet very regularly and, um, and you know, we have spoken to these individuals and, and you know, it, it's clear that, it, you know, it isn't Stuart Webber or Zoe Ward um, decide something and, and the others basically have a, a, no inability to, to sort of, nuance that or, or to refine it or even to disagree with it. You know, you get the sense it is a very open exchange and forum um, for decision-making. So they would, I'm sure, be very robust in countering the, uh, any, you know, inference that it's essentially Zoe Ward and Stuart Webber and um, and they basically decide on all the key strategic elements surrounding Norwich City um, and then com- communicate it to whoever else it may impact on. But ultimately, if you're a fan looking at it, and it's a little bit like the recruitment, you know, in a season where they cut a sway through the championship and, you know, they they seem to defy the odds in terms of their recruitment, then the praise is lavish, the fundamentals are sound, the model is perfect um, for Norwich City. Now it's turned the other way. Um, the opposite is true. And, and, and everything and anything to do with their recruitment in terms of players is wrong and fundamentally wrong. So I guess it's the same in terms of the more narrower focus of, that decision-making process and, and, you know, is there a healthy degree of plurality essentially that because we're coming off a very failed season and and not just on the pitch, you know, everything sort of going back to maybe the BK8 fallout and then that was handled and, you know, every, every sort of element since that's not directly connected to the football club, you know, um, gives the impression that, you know, it hasn't been a good season off the pitch, you know, in terms of, you know, I think it's, if I was to tie all the strands together, it always feels to me it's felt this season, Norwich are a very reactive club, that they've reacted to events, whether that be, you know, kind of a series of poor results on the pitch and then it's okay, we've got to get rid of the manager, whether it's, you know, that very, very vociferous fallout from a lot of supporters around the connotations of the BK8 sponsorship, which then got canned, you know, and you could go on and on if I was to stop and think about it. I'm sure there's many other examples where it feels like the culture has been reactive rather than maybe anticipating the the kink or, or the or the bump coming down the road and then trying to navigate it by swerving around it rather than you know jumping over it and landing 
on your backside. So, yeah, that's fair criticism. And I think they'd have to take that on board. And and the only way they'll be able to counter that moving forward is that, you know, you get that sense that they're not being buffeted by events, but they're that they're actually in control of events. And, and, and certainly that isn't the case, I don't think, on or off the pitch this season. We live Norwich City. The build-up. The passion. The drama. The last-minute winners. The debate. That's why we've created Pink and Plus. Plus. The app that takes you beyond the headlines. With exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered. Subscribe today. Pink and Plus. Stay ahead of the game. Download now on the App Store and on Google Play. We kind of, again, I don't want to delve too deep and go over ground that we've already covered, but we, we spoke a bit about mentality last week. Um, and I think I, th- I think I did actually mention the Jamal Lewis quote, but I've got it in front of me, so I'll, I'll read it again. Um, he said at the start of the season, and he, and he took quite a bit of flack for this as well, I think it's fair to say. Uh, he said, at Norwich in the Premier League, if you lose, it's like, OK, cool, dust ourselves off and go again. At Newcastle, it's like, no, that's not good enough. We need to do this, this, this and this. Given what we've seen this week, this season, is that statement true? Do you, do you think, Paddy, is there too many people at Norwich City just happy to be on the Premier League ride and uh, and the outcome maybe compared to other clubs doesn't feel as um, impounding, I suppose, maybe? Well, I mean, we've heard Stuart Webber talk about, you know, when he moved, when he got to Norwich City and and... I guess he was referring more to what he encountered at Colney than Cairo Road, but but around there would be these posters on the wall or, or this phrase, this buzzword, best in class. And as he as he likes to colourfully put it, he looked around at all the porter cabins and the, you know the kind of the, the paint probably peeling off the walls. And how on earth can you profess this to be a best in class elite sporting environment? Um, and maybe that was that conveyed the impression that uh, you know little old Norwich. Um, and, and if we get to the Premier League, it's a bonus and we'll enjoy it. But, you know, that's not where we, we deserve to be. That's not a rightful place. We'll, we'll we'll slip back down and we'll have another good season in the Championship or the Division 1 as it was back in the day. So he he was very clearly of the mind that, no, we're going to shed that. No, we we aren't little old Norwich. I, I actually just popped into my head, you know, the by some measure, the best single result they've managed in the two seasons under the Weber, Farker, now Smith axis was that Man City win uh, when when Farker's team sort of upset the odds uh, and went round the world um, for beating Man City. And after that game, actually, you know, we tried to approach Stuart Webber to do some media around it. Um, and his response was very much, well, hang on, you know, it's not a, to paraphrase him, it was, wasn't, we're not a League One club who've had a giant killing in the FA Cup. We're in the Premier League. We are in terms of Premier League status, on a par with Man City. This is what we should be striving for on a weekly basis. Yes, it's going to be very difficult to replicate that for all the financial disparities that we talk about routinely. But hang on, we, you know, we've earned our right to be in this league and take us seriously. So, you know, and that was going back sort of, you know, the first time around in the Premier League. So I, I, I certainly don't think on his watch that there is that sense of we're in a comfort zone and, we'll just bob along and if it doesn't turn out okay, then fine. But equally, what we heard from Dean Smith now over the last sort of week or so, it's this losing culture, this acceptance of, 
their lot. Also, sorry, sorry to butt in, and he repeated this after the game uh, about how many times Norwich have been promoted to the Premier League, which kind of feeds into this idea that Norwich being in the Premier League is it, it's, it should be treated as this kind of really big achievement. I think the fans don't necessarily see it in that in that same way. That's not to criticise Dean Smith. It maybe just lends into that point that I raised a little bit. Is is uh, and I suppose that's the biggest question: is the mentality once Norwich City get into the Premier League as a as a club from the top to the bottom? Is it wrong and is it geared that actually relegation maybe isn't the failure that maybe it's perceived to be at other clubs? Everton, for example, who are, who are clearly significantly bigger than, than Norwich City. But but does it all this way into maybe that, as we said, the culture not quite being right around Norwich City in the Premier League and their existence within it? Yeah, well, I guess I guess what we're talking about is, you know, was it is it now six Premier League relegations? That is a club historically who are unable to sustain, certainly in the modern era, Premier League membership over a, you know, a Stoke type of genre before they obviously dropped out. And maybe a good example now is Wolves and Leicester and clubs like that who've, who've got themselves up, stayed up and then pushed on again. Norwich, bar the odd sort of uh, second season, have, have not really, as far back as pre-Worthington era, managed to, to achieve that. And, and that must, even if it's subconsciously, that must infect how you feel, how you think, if you're anything to do with Norwich in terms of internally, when you do get back to the Premier League, because you haven't got anything to to, to reference it against in, in the last sort of 20, 30 years that, well, we got up before and we stayed up for five seasons on the spin and then we pushed on from there and, OK, we came back down again, but it can be done. And, and how you've shared that, well, ultimately, the only way, I guess, if there is a, a lingering sense of that at the back of people's minds is by staying up, is by by breaking the cycle. Um, and and then from there, who knows? Because that would, under Weber, certainly would be virgin territory. If they were to stay in the Premier League beyond the first season, they'd get another tranche of, obviously, Premier League revenue. Um, they'd probably be able to attract a higher grade of player in terms of recruitment because they'd be able to afford bigger salaries, bigger transfer fees. It's all hypothetical, but essentially what it boils down to is yeah, because I guess they don't have anything to draw back on other than, well, it's going to be tough because it's been tough every other time we've been up here recently and um, and normally we come back down after a season. So, um, you know, we'll hope for the best, but fear the worst or expect the worst maybe. So, and I think to me, that's where Dean Smith is coming from, that he, as an outsider, has come in. He clearly doesn't share that mindset. You know, he got Villa up and kept Villa up. And now look at them, you know, look at the investment they can attract or the type of player they can attract and what their ambitions are, bringing in a, an icon of the game and Steven Gerrard um, to, to continue his coaching path. Um, and obviously Norwich, you know, his ambitions would still be much lower, maybe in terms of the financial possibilities, but still they, they, they should. There's no self-funded model or not. There's no fundamental reason that should preclude Norwich from striving to stay up after a season in the Premier League and push on from there. It has been done. There's plenty of examples. Brentford, as we've discussed, are going to do it this season. Sheffield United did it a couple of seasons ago. Yes, they came back down, but you know it can be done. There, there isn't this glass ceiling when it comes to Norwich in the Premier League. Um, and if there is, then they should still be able to confidently smash through it and then and see what the view is beyond there. So, yeah, it, it, but but I guess you know, as I, said, I don't, I would, I would never lay that at Stuart Weber's door that he he feels it's beyond them that that you get in a comfort zone when you're in a Premier League. But ultimately, he is only the figurehead, and it's a very diverse uh, hierarchy, very diverse 
you know, football, it's not just a, a football team. It, you know, there's a lot of people behind the scenes in a football club woven into the fabric, been there years, you know, probably generations of families who've worked in various different capacities at Norwich City. You know, to, to change that overarching sort of mindset and culture is very is very difficult, um, even in the period of time Stuart Webber's been there. But th- that is definitely, I mean, there's many things you could probably now lay at Stuart Webber's door, but this sense that, you know, lucky old Norwich, um, we're, we're just here for the ride in the Premier League, that is very definitely not how he looks at it or how he views it. Uh, and Dean Smith is obviously of the same mind. So, And I guess that's why, as he said on Friday, Dean Smith, in his defence of Stuart Webber, he sees a very driven, very demanding individual in his one-to-one dealings with him. So if that's the case with the head coach, you can be sure he puts the same demands on the people in back office departments and football side and non-football side, Car Road and Colney. So, um, but fundamentally, I guess, yeah, to, 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 to answer the question, if there is that sense that we'll, 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 we'll enjoy the ride as long as it lasts, then the only way it's going to change is if you can prolong the ride. Yes. Absolutely, which which probably ultimately ends up ends us up at the maybe the final point that I wanted to discuss, which is obviously around the the ownership side of things and uh, and the investment side of things, because again there'll be people looking at it, looking at uh, and and I think we've spoken before and said the frustration that Norwich fans have at the moment is probably the culmination of uh, of as we said right at the top of the show, four consecutive relegations from the from the Premier League, a record six. A lot of people will will point at certainly the last four. And say that the constant is the the owners, the the majority shareholders who who are in charge of the club, and um, this idea around self funding models, and and whether actually in practice that can relate into a team that can stay up in the Premier League, or whether it it ultimately sees a club that bounces between the two divisions. Now there there are of course um, teams that Fulham, I think, are, are an excellent example of years gone by. They'll come up, they'll spend again they may go down again. Watford came up, spent, will we'll, we'll go down again. So it's it's not a problem that's exclusive to Norwich and isn't exclusive to self-funding. But I think maybe more the the angle that I want to take on it is, is we talk about kind of this philosophical view and how great it would be for Norwich to upset the odds and to prove that a self-funding team can stay in the Premier League and you don't need to to spend loads of money and, uh, and whatnot. But is that just theory? Is it just a, a pipe dream? Can it actually happen? I think these are the questions now that supporters are asking because at the moment, the the history suggests that Norwich City will get relegated to the, to the championship, do very well, possibly even come back up. And then two years later, we'll be in the same position again, asking these same questions again. So I guess the, the point is how much is, is of this is on the ownership and the way that Norwich City decide to operate as a club, or is it purely down to, as we spoke about right at the top, recruitment and, and those kind of elements? Is it the sporting decisions that uh, are wrong, or is it the wider Norwich City club model and, uh, and the way that they operate and exist as a business? Is that aspect wrong? Well, I mean, really, it's a theoretical debate because until the ownership was to change um, and whatever then came next, and then as a result of that, whatever then that looked like in terms of Norwich's progress or not on the on, on and off the pitch um that we could turn around and say well yeah it was the ownership aspect that, that held that club back in in that in this period um equally i guess you know if you get a different sporting director if they retain the sporting director model um and they were able to pull proverbial rabbits out of hats uh, in terms of premier league recruitment and they stayed up beyond the season um 
then you might look at it and think, well, maybe Stuart Webber was many positives about the impact he's left on this club. But maybe in the in the seam of recruitment for a Premier League football club, maybe he was he was deficient. Maybe he was found wanting um, because we've now seen it in the hands of somebody else within the parameters of a self-funded approach within the same ownership model. So I don't think we can definitively sit here. We'd have to, one or the other of those aspects would probably have to change. And then we'd have to see what the replacement looked like, whether it be ownership or sporting director, and then move it forward. I mean, bringing it narrowly down to what Dean Smith was talking about in terms of the self-funded model there recently, it basically affords Norwich fewer chances and fewer possibilities. They have to get more right than wrong if we're talking purely in terms of the players they go and buy because they don't have the funds to, you know, and you might say, well, yeah, look at look at the the misfiring that they've done this time around in terms of they don't have the funds to make errors and go again because you could argue that purely in terms of readiness for, for this Premier League season, they did go again and got it wrong and got and went again and got it wrong and went again and got it wrong. But it, it certainly does doesn't afford them the ability to to roll the dice. You know, they have to try um, and use all the things in their favour, which they hope are, you know, that astute kind of recruitment structure that they had in place to, to maybe winkle out a Buendia from the third tier of Spanish football or a player not too many would have heard here outside of maybe Celtic in Timu Puki and bring him to England and, and unleash him on, on an unsuspecting championship. You know, that was all very creative, very ahead of the curve, it felt, recruitment. Sadly, it feels now they're behind the curve and that they're playing catch-up and and quite a long way behind the curve. And that probably underlines how, in terms of purely in terms of recruitment, it's constant evolution, it's constant change. There's innovation, particularly with data and and big data and and metrics. And we saw, like last summer, they brought in a a person, Dr. John Iger, head of uh, data, I think his title is his official title. You know, that they've looked at this area. They've seen its potential for growth, potential for those marginal gains, that cliche you you hear, but, you know, something that could give Norwich the edge that isn't about simply the, the size of the of the bank balance or the size of the wallet. And it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened in this particular season. But, you know, fundamentally, is it the owners? Is it the sporting director? I don't think we're going to get the answer to that until one of the other changes. Um, and until that happens, then you're looking for improvements within the current structure and within the current personnel within that structure. Um, and that's why I say, you know, to bring it full circle, we've, we've discussed it at length on this podcast, what Stuart Webber says next in public and then how he acts. Um, if it is that he's he's fully on board and he wants to drive this forward, how he conducts himself then moving into the summer uh, is probably going to, you know, in, in the final analysis, probably decide his legacy and whether this model can work, I think, fundamentally. Um, if if they get, get it right this summer and he's the man to get it right, then, you know, we might look back as this as the, uh, this was the moment the backs were against the wall and um, and they came out and, and swung in a positive direction. But, you know, at the moment, that's, that's all up in the air because at the minute it feels like um, there's a huge cloud over the football club and um, it's going to take a while to dispel it, I feel. Yeah, it does. It does feel like a ship that is uh, on on the wrong course at the moment. It does feel like it, it needs some turning round. Uh, you you wouldn't quite label it Titanic proportions just yet, but obviously the fear is that maybe the fractures uh, become irreparable. That that certainly between fans and and the people in in positions of power. I, I mean, I, I must confess, I find it very difficult 
in any kind of debate around Norwich City's ownership model to really come up with any credible way to argue against it because in a, in a game, a modern game, where a lot of football clubs lose money every month and um, we obviously see the various clubs, particularly in the Championship at the moment, who are, who are if not past the brink, on it and obviously Derby and Reading are, are the examples, but there are, are countless others um, who, who are overspending and spending beyond their means to try and get to the Premier League. Norwich City don't do that. They they are going to be in a very healthy position financially. So it's very difficult, I think, A, to see anyone coming in with any real wad of cash capable of really changing their fortunes, unless we're kind of talking about essentially a state, which feels like is is where the game is at more generally at the moment. That feels like the, the type of wealth that you need in order to properly transform a football club. Um, but that said, I mean, it's our job, I think, to be sceptical about anything, everything anyway. But I think you, there's probably also a part of uh, of me, and I don't know if you if you'd share this view, Pad, that probably there is that scepticism around whether this can work at the uh, Premier League level, because ultimately all we have really to judge it on is is the historical context, and and that suggests that resoundingly no, despite different managers and different methods and different ways of being creative and different signings, Norwich have signed players and uh, and whatnot, it, and it hasn't worked. It is it is interesting, and uh, at the same token. For me, it feels quite hard to criticise Delia Smith and Michael Wynne-Jones and their role in it, A, because they're not materially involved in the running of the club day-to-day, but equally because a lot of the issues that we've spoken about are recruitment and the players they signed, not how much money they, they spent or how much money there was to spend. It was what they spent it on. And that feels like ultimately you end up in a position where you're probably shifting the conversation and the debate onto those people who made the decisions rather than people right at the very top ultimately overseeing the whole thing. I, I don't know if you kind of share that, but I, I think it's quite a complex debate around Norwich City, where Norwich City are and who maybe to point fingers at. And I feel like ultimately you probably end up at a place, as we've discussed throughout this podcast, where it probably feels like Stuart Webber is under the most scrutiny at the moment. Well, I mean, the, the, the point we've made that, you know, who could join them in the Championship? It could be Everton in very, very real terms given the the way Burnley continue to win games and look at the financial outlay, look at the wealth of their ownership Uh, and yeah that's still very real possibility, won't insulate them from joining Norwich back in the, well for them first time in a championship, second tier for decades and decades you know, um, that'd be a huge footballing failure, a financial failure as well, so you just put Everton alongside Norwich and Norwich's model, That that, that clearly isn't about solely the key to success or sustainability or longevity for Norwich is finding a, let's pluck a club at random. We're talking beyond Everton, maybe a Leicester, you know, with their wealth, but also the way they've stewarded the club, you know, very, very respectful of of Leicester and and the heritage of it and their fan base and, and and looking to improve and embellish, not, you know, overhaul and and revolutionise. And, um, it's to their eternal credit. You know, we can see the success Leicester have had in recent years. It's a fairy tale, really. Um, but within that model, I'm sure the key to it has been getting the right people in the right strategic positions, whether that be a, a Stuart Webber type position or the head coach, or, or and obviously then the recruitment and the players that they've brought in, and then the culture being right as well. And they're all elements that, to repeat what we said, what Dean Smith said there earlier, or paraphrase what Dean Smith was saying, it's a lot easier probably to to do that if you have that financial safety net that clearly Leicester have um, to maybe make an error or two along the way and it doesn't blow the trajectory of what they want to do with their club off course. But 
it's not it's not surely down to finances. Clearly, it can't be because if it was, Everton would be nowhere near the bottom three at the minute. If if the league table in the Premier League was purely graded on the relative wealth of clubs, and yeah, Norwich would finish bottom, so that would be accurate. But you wouldn't have an Everton down there. Um, you know, Newcastle a few years ago, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have gone down. You know, there's, there's plenty of examples. Um, so for me, it very firmly in the here and now, through the prism of what's gone wrong this season. It isn't that they didn't spend money. It's that the money they did spend, they spent it poorly and they got it wrong. And and not just made one or two bad buys, bad in the context of improving the squad for this Premier League season. They made a succession of bad buys. And and that, I don't think you can lay at the door of the ownership. That that has to be at the, at the door of the sporting director and the people around him in that re- recruitment department. Um, and then, of course, yep, Fark is not immune from that. You know, he still had plenty of talented resource at his disposal and Dean Smith. They haven't probably extracted what they should have done from the available talent. So this isn't clearly simply Stuart Webber should should be uh, put in the stocks. Um, but he is fundamentally uh, the person who is the figurehead of the club and and he will have to to own it. He will have to own it, uh, as Dean Smith did after the game. First, More or less the first thing he said was, I take my share of the responsibility. And Stuart Webber, I'm pretty sure, will take his share of the responsibility. Um but that's fine. But we were here two seasons ago where, where the responsibility was doled out and promises were made. Lessons would be learned fundamentally in, in, in the very, you know, starkest of terms, which is staying in a Premier League. They failed. So, again, and lessons haven't been learned. Um, so the question is, can they move forward with the same person in charge? And can he learn those lessons? And can he implement those lessons? And we won't know that. Um, until and if Short Weber declares that, yep, he's fully on board and he wants to continue driving the the car forward. So, um, but no, uh, p- purely and simply, are Norwich relegated this season because of their ownership model? No, they're not, because they spent considerable sums for Norwich to improve the squad to a level that, at the very least, they could have been competitive. And the fact that they aren't competitive isn't down to the fact that they have a self-funded model, and that's purely a discussion about ownership in the narrower confines of Premier League success or not, which for Norwich would be staying in the league, I'm sure, in the interim. You know, if you look at the broader, to draw a parallel with Derby or a Berry, even worse, do you want a football club? Do you want it in safe hands? Do you want it rooted in the community? Then this model, this ownership, you can't question it, can you? But but ultimately, after another failure at Premier League level, it's understandable that, you know, those questions will continue to be asked about the relative limitations of a self-funded model. Absolutely. And the uh, the agonising thing now for Norwich City perspective is that we've still got four games left of this season to go, of course, starting next week with West Ham United. So we've still got plenty of time and plenty of discussions to have about the various shortcomings this season and what comes next. This is now essentially an extended pre-season for Dean Smith and his men ahead of what will be another championship campaign next season but uh, we we will we will endure it as much as you guys for the next four weeks and uh, and, and endeavor to produce some more uh, content for you that hopefully you will enjoy of course the uh, pink and plus app is the place to go i'm sure you've heard about it already and uh, unfortunately we're not going to stop banging on about it if you haven't taken out uh, a month's free trial give us a go um no better time arguably maybe than than at the moment when important questions need asking, answering, uh, plenty of analysis to be done as well from our perspective. And also, of course, looking ahead to what's next. And 
inevitably at some stage there will be an optimism for what comes next and uh, and that season beginning again and we'll be right across it as ever um thank you very much for listening again to this week's thinking.com podcast we'll see you again next week hopefully um after a Norwich city win who knows after relegation sometimes teams play with a little bit more freedom let's hope that's the case for Norwich city thank you very much enjoy uh, a bank holiday weekend hopefully the sun shines and we'll see you again very soon